0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Fantasy Hockey Hacks Podcast, a proud member of the Heavy Hockey Network. I'm Devin Davidson, your host. Today we've got a special episode. We are starting our Pacific Division Fantasy Preview, starting with part one of the Pacific Division. And joining me today, we've got a special guest, Matt Larkin, managing editor and senior writer at Daily Faceoff and co-host of the Puck Poolies Podcast. Matt, thanks for being here. Welcome to the show.
1: It's a pleasure, Devin. And I have to say, I, I love your name. I think you sound like a comic book character before becoming a superhero. You have the great alliteration. Very Marvel.
0: I love that. That's, that's the first time I've ever heard that. And uh, I mean, that's a feather in my cap for sure. I love it. Uh, okay, well, I'm excited to have you here today. It's going to be a good episode. This is kicking off our, our summer content for, for fantasy previews. Um, this one should be fun. So we're going to cover off the Anaheim Ducks, the Los Angeles Kings, the San Jose Sharks, and the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, As I was just mentioning to you a second ago, we'll go through some of the team stats, some of the schedule notes, additions, subtractions for each team, uh, and then maybe just a few little fantasy nuggets uh, to get our our listeners through till their drafts this fall. So it should be fun. Absolutely
1: love it. And uh, I'm deep in my fantasy ranking process. So all these names are fresh in my mind. So the, the timing is perfect to talk some fantasy at the moment.
0: Yeah, I, I love it. This is great. Um, I, I've been following your content for quite some time. I, I obviously appreciate what you do, and all the stuff you guys do, do over at, uh, at Daily Faceoff is great, so this will be a lot of fun for me. Awesome. Uh, it's it, it's also very strange. Like I was saying, this is 116 episodes now, and this is the first one I've done without my co-host Bruce or any of the, uh, the hacks on the show, so uh, if I have any jitters, that's why. This is very strange for me. Well, that's awesome. Well, I'll try to be uh, as good of a, a co-host
1: or, or guest, I guess, but sort of substitute, substitute co-host as I can be for
0: you. <laughs> I love it. Uh, before we get too far down the content here, I should just mention quickly that this episode is brought to you by Flaviar. Refine your palate with spirits from around the world. Sample and train your palate with curated tasting sets. Buy bottles at a discount and curate your home bar. Socialize and learn together with other members. Visit flaviar.com slash FHH today to save 10% when you sign up for a subscription available to our listeners in the United States, United Kingdom, and European Union. And so, with that, let's move on to our fantasy hockey preview for the Pacific Division. Basically, we're going to do, we do this every offseason. So, we're going to go through uh, each division, each team based on the results from the previous year, uh, as well as any changes that were made as a result of the entry draft or free agency. Uh, which teams improved, declined, or remained largely the same. Some team statistics, like I said, schedule notes, uh, and some fun projections. We're not going to go through every single one, so if you guys want projections for each player that we covered, make sure you go to our website, fantasyhockeyhacks.com. It'll all be available there later. And kicking things off, we're going to go to the Anaheim Ducks. So, 8th place in the Pacific Division last year. uh, 31, 37, and 14 record. In almost every major category, Matt, the Anaheim Ducks were a an awful, awful team last year.
1: Yeah, they were. And it was interesting this offseason to see Pat Verbeek flick a switch. It appears that's what he was doing, right? When he spends a lot of money to bring in Alex Kalorn and Radko Gudis, it surprised me because to me, this is a team that's still pretty much at a ground zero in terms of its rebuild process. It didn't really show much progress last year. Some of their young players even maybe hit the wall or plateaued. So I was a little surprised to see the ducks, not just paying money for veterans, but giving term. So that implies that they believe they're ready to start improving. And I'm a little skeptical.
0: I I would agree with that. Um, Interesting notes are just some timely news. Troy Terry just signed his seven year deal uh, at $7 million. And to me, that seems like a, a great acquisition for the Ducks. Very, very team friendly, uh, especially with the cap going up in the next couple of years.
1: Yeah, very good point. And I think Troy Terry, you know, he came down to earth a little bit last season after the shooting percentage really popped two years ago. I think it was 37 goals. I think what we saw from him last year was probably his true level, but still, if you can have someone who you can rely on for roughly 25 goals, 65 points can play in your top six for years to come, got great hands. I think it's a good player to lock up long-term.
0: Love it. Um, I just want to mention some schedule notes here quickly. So the ducks have 11 back-to-back sets this season. That's tied for the sixth most with Boston, Dallas, St. Louis, and Vegas. Uh, 36 of their games or 44% are played on light days. That is the most among any team in the NHL this upcoming season, and that's kind of a, a it's kind of a frequent scheduling quirk with these guys. It's it's most fantasy managers know the Anaheim Ducks play a lot of games on on off nights, and so it really helps you to optimize the amount of games played throughout the season.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you know what's funny? What stands out to me the eleven back to backs because Lucas Dostal, I think, is an interesting sleeper. John Gibson, we know. Does he want out of Anaheim? Does he not? Maybe he does. And then he's backtracking when teams aren't making offers, so he has to save face. But either way, we know that he has sort of fallen on hard times as a goaltender in Anaheim. And Lucas Dostel, I think, is going to put the pressure on this year. And just seeing the 11 back-to-backs, to me, that says, okay, we're guaranteed already 11 Lucas Dostel starts on paper. And that's intriguing to me because I think he has a lot of potential. I think he is their number one goalie of the future.
0: I would absolutely agree with that. So how would you handicap this? Do you think it's it's likely that John Gibson is, is moved at some point, you know, in the next season or two, or is he just going to write out his contract? How do you see that playing out?
1: Well, it's funny, you know, the deeper we got into the off season, it's similar to the Connor Hellebuck situation. Although of course, John Gibson's not worth nearly as much, but as more and more teams address their goaltending, it sort of became clear to me, okay, I don't think there's going to be a taker. He just has too much term left at a pretty high cap hit for someone whose performance has been subpar. And it's crazy. 5 years ago I thought he was in contention to become the best goaltender in the world and it just hasn't happened. I do think he has the talent to excel with a change of scenery, but I just I think the contract at the moment is too prohibitive so I don't know if we're going to see him move this season. Maybe we have to wait another year and maybe some more term is off that deal and then
0: finally it becomes palatable in a trade. Yeah, that sounds great to me. Uh, So in terms of John Gibson for this coming season, let's just assume that he stays in Anaheim and not much changes. Uh, I agree with you. Lucas Dostal is the goaltender of the future and and may see more starts this year. Um, I've still got Gibson pegged for 54 starts or a 67% net share. I think while he's there, they kind of have to use him and probably build up his value for a trade later on. Um, But I've only got him for 18 wins. Does that sound like a reasonable projection for you?
1: Yeah, I think so. I still have the Ducks as the most likely team to finish in the basement of this division. Uh, I know they've added some veterans and it'll be very interesting if Leo Carlson ends up making this team and the the floor theoretically could go up, but I'm still not convinced they're going to be a strong defensive team. And I think I saw a stat the other day, just the amount of shots they allowed. It was like a historic amount of shots. So it is worth noting for Gibson. Uh, I agree with you. He's going to get the lion's share. And if you're in a league that counts shots or saves, he will get you some volume in those categories, even though he might hurt you in the rate stats. So yep. I don't think he's completely without value. Uh, but to me, if he's your
0: starter or even your second goalie, you're in a little bit of trouble. Maybe he's your third goalie in fantasy, ideally. Yep, that's how I'd play it too. And, and too, in terms of value, it's where you can get him in the draft, right? It is He's going to be a late round pick or, or maybe even a, he could be waiver wire fodder, right? mm
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Uh, let's talk about some of these key additions here. So you you had mentioned Alex Kaloran and Radko Gudis. I mean, I'll start with Gudis just because he is an absolute banger's beauty. Um, fantasy managers love this guy for the amount of hits he can dish out. So he he averaged, uh, was it roughly four and a half hits per game, one and a half blocks, and over one penalty minute per game uh, the past three seasons. So very, very helpful and useful in, in peripheral categories.
1: I agree. And it's funny, I am, I've been working on that final draft of my first version of of my top 300. And I I surprised myself by putting Gutis in the top 300. And my reasoning was (laughs) he's a guy who always gets you 300 hits. And that was playing what 17 minutes a game in Florida with the ducks. I could, I think we could easily see 20 minutes, 19 minutes, even. So if you're getting a couple extra minutes a game of Radko Gutis, to me, he is now your front runner to lead the NHL in hits. I think it's possible he gets 400 and a 400 hit player. That's a guy that can win you your, category especially if you're in a head-to-head league in any given week in any given night he can get eight ten hits so to me he's a difference maker and the ice time I believe will go up
0: yeah I agree with that assessment offensively probably not much there I've got him for three goals and 20 points does that kind of sound like a reasonable range for you
1: Yeah, I think that's about right. I think 20 points might even be a little bit high. If you look at, you know, the pucks that were bouncing off him in Florida, well, those teams (laughs) were really high offense, especially uh, the season before last, right? The Panthers were historically good, averaging more than four goals a game. So the Ducks aren't going to score that much. To me, I think 15, 18 points, probably a fair range for Gudis.
0: Okay. And then his average ADP last year was around 135. That was in Yahoo and ESPN league. So I'd be curious to see how high or low he goes this upcoming season. Um, I'd say it could go a little higher just based on the fact that, like you said, he's going to get those top four minutes.
1: Yeah, it's funny because I don't think at least the leagues I play in, I don't see Gouda's valued as a top 135 player often. But especially this time of year, the Yahoo ADPs are really wonky. They yeah. they sort of normalize around September, October when there's a lot more leagues drafting. But this time of year, you can get one person that does something crazy in a draft, picks a guy as a joke, and it can... It can pop in those ADPs. So I would say, yep. have to be careful looking at them this early in the summer because you do get some really strange results.
0: You definitely do. No question. Uh, let's maybe stick with defenseman here quickly before I go back to Alex Killorn. So Jamie Drysdale, do you, do you see him popping this year? Like I, I know Cam Fowler's kind of the only option. They've got Olin Zellweger coming, um, but he also, he plays the left side, I believe, and, and Drysdale can play the right. So not really a threat there. But um, is Fowler going to get the line share of the power play time this year, or are they finally going to give Drysdale his chance on the the man advantage?
1: It's a good question, and I do think that Drysdale has sleeper potential because if you look at the, the Ducks' farm system, they have, like you said, Olin Zellweger and and Pavel Mintyukov as well. They have some really exciting young defensemen, and I almost feel like their presence or the the hype over them may be challenging for roster spots has overshadowed the fact that Drysdale was a really good prospect too. He, of course, last season was right off with the injury he suffered missed almost the entire year, but if we flash back to his draft year a few years back – People were hyping him up, not quite at Kale McCarr level, but they were saying, hey, this is going to be an elite offensive defenseman in the NHL, and I feel like he's kind of forgotten. So a couple of years ago, he crossed the 30-point threshold. He's still in his early 20s. So I do think there's a possibility for him to reestablish himself as the main power play quarterback, and I do like him as a sleeper this year for sure.
0: Okay, I, The Ducks have done such a great job drafting defensemen the past number of years. I mean, you think about Shea Theodore and Brandon Montour and how those guys have all panned out. It's It's kind of crazy, actually. It's so true. And Hampus Lindholm as well. Yes. Yeah. He had a great season last year too. Uh, Okay. So Alex Killorn, he's the other addition here I want to talk about quickly. Obviously career year in Tampa, 28 goals, 65 points, but there, there is some cause for concern with him. He's, he's kind of a, it's an interesting situation because I think on one hand, he's going to see more deployment. He's going to be put in a role where he's in the top six, probably gets power play time. But all of his underlying numbers, his advanced metrics that we look at for regression suggest this guy's going to take a big step back. And so I've got him at 24 goals and 55 points for this coming year. Uh, I'm just curious how you see him and and uh, what kind of projection you would envision.
1: I think you've summarized everything with Kalorn perfectly there, Devin. And to me, he's a kind of a confounding player because... I was often someone who was not on the Caloran train in Tampa Bay because he was always sort of outperforming his advanced metrics and, you know, lucky shooting percentages, all that kind of stuff. Now I feel like he, after he signed that big money deal, he's landing on a lot of bust lists in yep. fantasy going into drafts next year. And I've almost gone full circle. I'm thinking, you know what? I think now he might actually be undervalued. He's going to be 34 years old. It feels like he's this declining asset. He left a great team. But like you said, his deployment maybe is going to go up. He's going to be guaranteed in that top six. And I, I always say, in fantasy hockey, money talks. And what I mean is, when a team hands out a certain AAV to a player, it's basically, well, we have to play him now in a prominent role. Otherwise, we look like idiots. So <laughs> we're paying Alex Cloran more than $6 million? Well, we're not playing in the bottom six. We'll be a laughingstock. We have right. to give him a shot probably all year long in, in that top six. So I think 24 goals, 55 points, that's sort of more or less what he's done most of the time in Tampa. I think it's a fair uh, prediction because decline in supporting cast, increase in role, I think those two offset each other.
0: Okay, perfect. Um, Before we move on, I'll just ask you quickly, Trevor Zegers, I've got him for 24 goals and 73 points. How do you see his season going next year?
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair projection. Uh, I was surprised to see him plateau last year and not really improve at all across the board in his production, but I'm still a big believer in the talent and I know the Ducks are as well. And I think that's part of the reason they did bring in Kaloran. They want to surround zegris even if he's not in zegris's line, but just improve the overall top six, give him more support. Uh, so I believe that I, I'm looking at maybe a jump in 10 points. I could even see 15. I just think he's still a really special talent, has amazing vision, amazing hands. So yeah. 65, I, I think, was the range last year. I wouldn't be surprised if he actually jumped into 75 or 80-point territory.
0: Okay. Uh let's move on then to the Los Angeles Kings here. Had a very successful season last year, third in the Pacific, 47 25 and 10. Uh they were a top 10 team in goals for at 3.3, uh 16th in goals against at uh, 3.10. Power play special teams were, were great, fourth in the league at 25.3 in the power play and then uh well, PK wasn't so great at uh, at 75.8, but uh power play was effective. In terms of the schedule, 12 back-to-backs this season, which is tied for the fifth most with Buffalo, Chicago, Montreal, New York, Philly, Pittsburgh, San Jose, and Toronto. And then 32 of their games, uh, or 39%, are played on light days. That is the third most among any team in the NHL this coming season. Um, I think they're going to compete again for the for the Pacific Division. They're going to be right there with with Edmonton and and uh, Vegas. Uh, it'll be interesting to see exactly where they finish. The, some key additions this year. Obviously, they've had a fairly busy summer. Um, you know, bringing in Cam Talbots and, and trading for Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, I'd first like to ask you, what's your take on the PLD trade? Did you like, because I kind of look at this and go, they traded away Gabe Velarde, they traded away I follow. Um, you know, they traded away Dursey to make room for PLD's cap. Like, it just seems like they really depleted some of their depth that they had last season. So, but how do you view that trade? Yeah, I,
1: I agree that, Dubois wasn't necessarily the ideal fit for LA because I think they were sort of adding to what was already an area of strength. So now they're three deep up the middle with Anzi Kopertar, Philip Dino and Dubois, which is great, of course, but it does come at the price of some of their depth. And to me, what they didn't do was address their actual major weakness over the summer, which was goaltending. So you're bringing in Cam Talbot. He's 36 years old. When we know that names like Connor Hellebuck were on the block and the Jets Have well, they actually they made a trade with the LA Kings, so we know the Kings had the horses to make that type of deal, right? It was right there. To me, I was a little surprised that the Kings went that way and they went cheap with their goaltending because to me, they have most of the pieces to be a top tier contender. And now, especially if you compare it to Corpus Allo, how he was down the stretch last year, you could argue the Kings are weaker in that. And I'm kind of thinking, come on, it was right there. There were a lot of goalies available and you have to go for Cam Talbot. I thought that was an underwhelming decision. That said, we know the Kings, their farm system is still pretty robust. So I think part of the reason why they're willing to deplete their forward depth is that they're counting on some other guys to ascend. So for example, someone like an Alex Turcott. also Quinton Byfield, I think he's going to stick and be more of a lineup fixture, even in that top six this year.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see what Quentin Byfield does. I didn't actually um, put out a projection for him just because I'm, I'm not really sure what to expect. It's going to be based on what sort of deployment we see this fall. Um, so I'll maybe reassess that at some point. Speaking of their their prospect pool, I did want to talk about Brant Clark. So let's maybe start there. That was one um, that I want to talk about. And and he posted 23 goals and 61 points in 31 OHL games last year. So I don't know any defenseman in junior that puts up two points a game as a defenseman, right? It's just, it's almost unheard of. But um I've got him pegged for 35 points and seven goals in his rookie season. I've heard a few people suggest um, my buddy Ryan over at puck dynasty was saying he thinks Brent Clark could chew into drew Dowdy's power play time this upcoming season. I'm not sure that I buy that, but I'm very curious your take on Brent Clark and, and how does his rookie season look?
1: Yeah, I think, Devin, it sounds like we're on the same page again. And Brant Clark is absolutely one of my main sleepers for the year. I think his fantasy upside is massive. It would be higher if he was on a team that was a little bit more high-flying than the Kings. But I still think, nonetheless, especially because he has a lot of potential as a goal-scoring defenseman. So I could even see him doing something like 10 goals, 40 points as a rookie. It's just a matter of, can he stick with the team this time? He got that cup of coffee last year, so I'm reasonably confident that they are going to keep him up and activate that entry level or year one of his entry level deal but it does come down to can he usurp drew dowdy i think he'd probably be starting on the second pair but there are so many things that can happen drew dowdy had a major injury uh, not too long ago right so he's getting into his 30s he could get hurt again either way i think i believe in betting on talent so if brant clark makes the team i think he's someone you absolutely want to draft with a late round pick
0: yeah no question i i think there's some validity too that Maybe you do want to rest Drew Doughty a little bit. Like, it's important for him to perform in the playoffs, right? He's got to be healthy. And so maybe even in the second half of the season, Brent Clark sees a little bit more power play time because if they're, if they're winning and they're in a playoff position, maybe they just let the kid run a bit. Um, I don't know. But, it, you know, we, we also saw how effective Sean Jersey was, uh, you know, when Drew Doughty did go down with injuries. So, yeah, I'm very, very curious to see what happens this year with Brent Clark. For sure, and and Sean Dursey, I know I know Arizona's in the Central now,
1: but that's a sleeper to remember too. I think he has a lot of potential to uh, be a steal in fantasy drafts out there in Arizona.
0: Well, since we're on that topic, I'll just ask you really quickly: Do you see him getting power play one? Is he going to split time with Valimaki? Like, what do you see happening in Arizona there? I think that Dursey
1: will gradually overtake Valimaki. Uh, Valimaki is a talented player, but I think that Dursey, his ability to play both sides, gives him more versatility to be moved around and. I think he can be deployed similarly to how Jacob Chikran was used as more of a shooter on the power play. So I think that Jersey will end up on PP1 eventually.
0: Okay. I like it. Um, Cam Talbot. So you mentioned him earlier, and, and I, I agree, you know, 36-year-old goaltender on the cheap. I don't think he's really much of an improvement over uh, Jonas Corpusalo, But I do have him set here for 49 starts and 35 wins. I think there's just that familiarity with Todd McClellan and he did have some success under Todd McClellan while he was in Edmonton. So I think they're probably just hoping they can rekindle some of that magic, but, uh, can you see 35 wins from Cam Talbot? I mean, they may split time with Copley too. So kind of, how do you see the goaltending play out and do you like the projection?
1: I think maybe we're going to see a slightly more even share. But I do think there is an important connection to make there with McClellan, especially because the time in Edmonton, that was arguably Cam Talbot's peak. And he was a major workhorse. He played so many games when he was the number one in Edmonton. So in theory, that could suggest that Tom McClellan wants to ride a true number one. But I just don't think Cam Talbot's body is up to the task anymore. To me, he's going to be more of a goaltender who maybe tops out at 40, 45 starts. And I think Phoenix Copley is going to get a pretty significant workload, especially the fact they gave him that extension. I know he was a late bloomer, but the extension was quite a vote of confidence. So I do do agree Talbot is the starter. He's going to be the 1A. He'll play more, but I think it's going to be maybe 60-40. I don't think it's going to be a 70-30 type of split. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, let's uh let's go back maybe to PLD. So I, my projection for him this year is 30 goals and 65 points. Um I kind of I'm I'm curious how they deploy him because they've still got Philip Deneau there and he's going to shoulder the bulk of the defensive assignments, I think. So even though he's going to play in the top 6, do, is it possible that PLD maybe sees some easier competition next season?
1: Yeah, I think it's very possible, especially considering that you also have Andre Kopitar, who's another great center. So between Kopitar and Deneau, there's so much defensive responsibility that would be taken off Dubois' shoulders. But on the other hand, you know, and I do think Dubois, there's going to be some hype around him because of the trade, but I think people forget that Winnipeg had great forwards for the entire time that Dubois was there. He had great supporting cast all around him all the time. He was always playing with high skill wingers there too. So I actually think from a fantasy perspective – It's more of a lateral move, so yes, more sheltered minutes, but then also more competition for ice time. Unless we see Dubois suddenly deployed on the wing, which he's played before, I know he prefers to play in the middle, but that is a sort of nuclear option that Tom McCollin could try to load up the top six more. But either way, I think overall, lateral move, and I think he'll be at his normal level. So something, you know, 25 to 30 goals, 65-point range, I think that's a fair estimate. Okay, Great.
0: Uh, let's talk about Anze Kopitar a little bit. Um, I had to actually adjust my projection for him because I, looking at his numbers a little bit closer, um, there, there's his numbers are inflated in all five categories that I look at. So his individual shooting percentage at 16.6 was a five-year high. His team's even strength shooting percentage with him on the ice was a five-year high at 9.6%. Uh, his IPP, I think, was elevated. Uh, secondary assist per 60 was a five-year high, and his power play shooting percentage was a five-year high at 22.5%. So... I've got him at 24 goals and 68 points. Do you think it's plausible that he surprises us all and, and posts another 75-point season or 80-point season? I think given the fact that he's aging as well, I think
1: staying relatively conservative with the projection makes sense. I will say, and and when Deneau first signed, I sort of predicted that Kopitar was going to have a mini-offensive resurgence because of the fact that he could focus more on offense. So I do wonder if the improved shooting percentages, especially at 5-on-5, five five, are the results of getting better looks and not always being out there shutting down the, the best players on the other team. So yeah. I think there's a little bit more sustainability than the underlying numbers might suggest. Also just he's formed some real, really strong chemistry with Adrian Kempe, who has been quite the breakout goal scorer the last couple of years. And even with Quinn Byfield playing the wing on that line, I was looking it up the other day, that line outscored opponents 31 to 11 last wow. year at five on five together. Um, and, that was with Quinton Byfield just getting his feet wet. If there's any progression from him, maybe it actually lifts the floor for Kopitar more. But overall, I like to play it relatively conservative when it comes to players in their 30s. So that 68 point range to me, it's it's a nice safe safe bet. And I think Kopitar is still one of the safer players on the board. He's quite durable.
0: Yeah, yeah, no question he is, and I do like the talents around him as you as you suggested. Um, you know, the next guy is, is uh, well. Let's talk about Kempe maybe just quickly. So. I've got him here at 37 goals and 68 points. He scores a lot of goals, doesn't do much in terms of overall points, though. Um, do you see that changing at all this year?
1: No, I think I, we know who he is right now, and I think he's quite valuable in banger formats because he's a 100-plus hit type of player. He also gets tons of shots. So if you're in leagues that count those categories as well, his value, I think, gets a significant bump. I uh, So in the main league I play in has those categories, so he's actually worth quite a lot. The thing about Adrian Kempe is... Uh, you could argue he's more valuable in a roto format than a head-to-head format because he's really streaky. So in head-to-head, he can disappear for long stretches and, and sure, it's hurting correct. you. You're losing your individual matchups against an opponent. In a year-long league, well, you know he's going to get home. He's going to get his 35 goals, even if he gets a you know a half of them in a span of 20 games. It yeah. just seems to be the way he rolls. So when you have a streaky player like that, I think that type of player is more valuable in a roto format than head-to-head. Okay.
0: Uh, I, of course, want to talk about Kevin Fiala. He's been fantastic, and we always joke on this podcast, he's second half Fiala, uh, seems to show up at that time of year. Um, I've got him predicted here for 31 goals and 82 points. There are a few numbers that I would keep an eye on, though. So his secondary assist rate per 60 at 0.7 was a five-year high for him. His power play shooting percentage at 14% was a bit above his six-year average of 12.6%. But his IPP at almost 80 is on par with Kirill Kaprizov, Jack Hughes, and our Temmy Pinair in the past three seasons. So, do you put him in the same category as those players, or am I missing something? I don't put him quite in their category, and even you know, even if you look at
1: your projection, it's more in the eighty-point range. But I, I think the Fiala is comfortably an eighty-point player at this point. Uh, with the caveats being, he does have the tendency to get a little bit nicked up. So. As we saw last year, he didn't get through a full season. So you might not be getting 80 points. You might be getting an 80-point pace. You might be getting 70 points in 70 games, give or take. Uh, But I do think he's matured into quite a reliable, not quite star, but secondary scorer for any fantasy team. And I'm not surprised to see the secondary assists go up. Uh, A, just because he has more talent around him. The Kings team continues to improve. And I just think overall, his profile as a player... I'd be curious to see what his primary assist rate as well, because I think he's maturing into a better playmaker. He's not just a goal scorer anymore. I think he's almost diversified and gives you a little bit of everything. So to me, I think he's at his peak and it's 80 point player. I don't think he's going to get into the Panarin range, but that's okay. Still very valuable.
0: Okay. Great assessment there. Uh, Last player I want to talk about here for the Kings is Victor Arvidsson. Uh, I've got him here for 25 goals and 60 points. There's a couple numbers that suggests positive regression. So his secondary assist rate at 0.17 is low. uh, And his 6.9 team even strength shooting percentage again. uh, Both of those are are five-year lows for him. The thing that concerns me, though, is his power play shooting percentage. Um, So it was... uh, He only saw a 44% power play share last year, and and he may be relegated to power play 2 moving forward. I don't know if that's going to change. But with that in mind, he converted on almost 23% of his 44 shots in the man advantage. And that was a five-year high for him last year. So... I think we can expect some regression in terms of his power play shooting percentage and make it closer to his 15% average over the past five years. Um, what's your take on Arvidsson for next year? Is he still someone that you target in fantasy?
1: I wouldn't say he's someone that I target, um, but I think we can understand that he's still a relatively high floor player and it was nice to see him get back to his normal rate of production. One of his better actual full season fantasy lines that he's had in a long time last year. But again, it comes down to health. He's not a player that, is consistently healthy every year. So I do worry about that. Uh, I think he has more downside than some other players that are in that scoring range. And so to me, for Victor Arbson to have another 60-point season, everything's got to break perfectly. I think that's the top of his range right now. Uh, But I do think he's reliable. He's going to get you 20 goals, even if he plays, you know, 68 games, 65 games, he's still a reliable source of goals and shots. And I do wonder, depending on how Tom McClellan uh, juggles those forwards, there could be a scenario in which Arvidsson gets a lot of time with Dubois instead of Philip Deneau. And I think that would be, that would mean playing on a more offensive line and that would increase the possibility for assists for Arvidsson.
0: I did wonder about that. I saw that Kaliev, I've seen a couple lineups where Kaliev is playing on that top, uh, in that top six with PLD and, um, uh, you know, Kempe or Orfial or somebody, but then they've got that line that was really effective actually. So um it was Moore and uh, Denoe and, and Arvidsson. And, and as an That's Oilers right. fan, I watch those guys terrorize us. Um, you know, regular season and playoffs, they've been very effective. So it'll be interesting to see if they separate that line. They've got lots of pieces to juggle around.
1: Yeah, they do. And it's hard because that line has been really effective. It's a two-way line, one of the better two-way lines in the league. So maybe you keep them together as your third line. And in that case, it's going to hurt Arvidsson's value because that was basically LA's second line in the pre-Dubois years, right? Correct.
0: Okay, let's move on to the San Jose Sharks here. Uh, just a little bit better than the Anaheim Ducks at 7th in the Pacific, 22, 44, and 16. Uh, 25th in goals for at 2.84, 30th in goals against at 3.84. Uh, power play here, at 18.4% was 25th, and the PK at 82.4 was 8th. They've got 12 back-to-back sets this season, so tied for 5th most. Uh, 24 games, 24 other games, or 29%, are played on light days, and that's the 6th fewest among any team in the NHL this coming season. There was some off-season movement here, so they brought in Anthony Duclair from Florida. Uh, they signed Phillips Zadina after his contract was bought out. Uh, Mackenzie Blackwood they brought in. Timo Meyer. of course, left, went to New Jersey uh, in that trade, and then James Reimer last, left as a UFA as well. So my question is, do you think this team, do they improve, or are they just kind of treading water at this point?
1: Yeah, I think they're treading water. And, you know, I should correct myself earlier when I was saying that the Ducks are my my pick to finish last i still think ducks are probably more likely seventh i kind of was forgetting about san jose and that kind of is the point this is one forgettable roster at the moment <laughs> i think they're absolutely barren and if you look the will smith pick that was their highest pick since brad stewart in the early 2000s i believe it was or was no no it was late 90s i think it was 25 years i'm pretty sure brad stewart was 98 98 draft but at least two decades since yeah. the Sharks had a pick that high. And that just, to me, it's a sign of a team that needs to bottom out. And the hallmark of the Doug Wilson era was this team's always competitive. The players were proud of that. Right now, no, you don't want to be good. This team needs to be gutted. You need to be bad, bad, bad. And I think this roster is bad, bad, bad. It's going to get worse <laughs> when they trade Eric Carlson as well.
0: Okay, so let's start there. I was going to mention that they have a ton of um, players in contract years that they'll probably get moved at the trade deadline when they are bad, bad, bad. Um, but let's start with Eric Carlson. Cause I don't think you can talk about the San Jose Sharks in the off season without starting there. So, uh, just an absolutely historic season from him, 101 points, 25 goals, won his third Norris trophy. Um, I was really happy to see that for him. Eric Carlson, he's had a rough go the past few years, just with health concerns and personal issues and all sorts of stuff. So it was just really cool to see him do this well. Um, but unfortunately it all looks like it's, it's a mirage, right? You look at the underlying metrics and, Um, a 12% individual shooting percentage. That was a career high for him. Uh, Team even strike shooting percentage at almost 11%. Secondary assist rate was high. Power play shooting percentage, 11.3% was high. So I've got him for 17 goals and 77 points. Where do you see Carlson for next season?
1: Yeah, that's pretty much exactly how I projected him. If if you're... You don't want to be the fool who picks him as the top defenseman off the board in the second round, and you're projecting for another 100 points for so many reasons. So first, of course, the underlying metrics showing he was playing over his head, but also just the fact that he was healthy, the fact that he played 82 games, he's 33 years old. That was a minor miracle. We cannot count on him to play a full season again, given his age and his very detailed injury history. The other thing, too, and this is more of an intangible, can't necessarily really prove it, but... If you're playing on the San Jose Sharks team going nowhere, you're trying to revive your career, you know you're getting close to 100 points, what are you going to do? Maybe sell out for a little bit of offense. We know Eric Carlson was terrible defensively last year, and I mean (laughs) terrible. And I do wonder if he was cheating a little bit to get to that century mark, and it led to a bigger pop in his numbers than what you might see, even if he's healthy on another team, that actually is playing to win. So everything about that season to me felt artificial Good on him for accomplishing it. Absolutely, he's going to be a Hall of Famer, but I do not think that is a repeatable season at
0: all. <laughs> no, agreed. I think the other thing, too, is, as you'd suggested, he's going to get traded probably this season, right? Um, he's going to go to a team, a contending team, most likely, where he's not going to be the only power play quarterback on that roster. Like, he's going to be competing for power play time. There's been talk about going to Pittsburgh, right? He's going to compete for power play time with Eric Car- or with uh, Chris Letang. If he did go to Carolina, which seems unlikely now, given that they signed D'Angelo and they've got Burns there, but you know, anywhere he goes, he's going to be fighting for, for that deployment.
1: It's true. And that's why I've always found the Pittsburgh fit really strange. It's like, they already have a top end right shot power play quarterback who is borderline hall of fame as well. It's like you have an Eric Carlson, not quite, but you almost do. That's like the one thing the Penguins don't need. It just It's an odd fit to me. I would agree with
0: that. Uh, Let's talk about goaltending here. So how do you see the split happening for next season? They've got Kakinen and now Mackenzie Blackwood. I think there's maybe some potential with Blackwood if he can actually stay healthy. That's always been his concern. Um, But he didn't play great on a very good New Jersey team this past season, right? So I don't know really what to expect from him in San Jose.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting uh, reclamation project because it's, it's crazy to think just a couple years ago, Blackwood is one of those goalies that was in the discussion for a future Olympian. He was on that fringe when there was that list. of, I think it was six goalies that Canada was watching closely. Yeah. Uh, I do think, at least from people I've talked to, I know that the San Jose Sharks are very high on Mackenzie Blackwood and they feel like he's kind of a hidden gem that they can unlock. So, yes, the potential is there, but he has not shown he has not reached it. Uh, since really he first broke into the league with the Devils. Now he's going to a much weaker team. He's already had some confidence problems. He's had some health problems as well. So to me, I'm not overly excited about his fantasy potential. Uh, I think we're looking at an actual duel between him and Kakanen. I think it could be an equal split, or it could be whoever outperforms the other is going to win the job. I think it's it's set up for them to kind of go at it and see who can be the better goaltender.
0: Okay, I like that. Yeah, I had them at a a 50% net share. Just that's... At least to start. And like you said, they may have read the hot hand. I can see that for sure. Okay. Uh who else did I want to talk about here quickly? Thomas Hurdle. So probably the the number one fantasy asset for the San Jose Sharks right now. I've got him projected here for twenty seven goals and sixty nine points. As you'd said, it's not gonna be good in San Jose, but someone's gotta put up some points, and I think Hurdle's gonna get the bulk of those offensive zone starts. Um it is worth mentioning, too, that last season he saw his lowest individual shooting percentage at 12% since 2016-2017. Um, and his percentage was down in the power play as well, just 12.5% on 48 shots. That is the second lowest rate over the past five seasons for him. So he usually converts at about 17 or 18% of the power play. Um, so I, I'm not expecting big, big numbers from Hurdle, but does 27 goals and 69 points sound reasonable?
1: Yeah I think that sounds just about right and I think if you look at him and Logan Couture they're basically the same player right now they can give you 25 goals a pretty good helping of shots maybe 60 70 point range so it is a reminder that it's not completely barren out there there are a couple reliable veterans if you're if if, the only thing is if you're in a league with plus minus you have to be willing to take a hit with those guys but if you're comparing Hurdle and Couture to me just the fact that hurdle is younger, that kind of breaks the tie for two players with a really similar statistical profile. So uh, I do think that's a very accurate projection for hurdle.
0: Yeah. Couture is one of those guys I've just sort of put on my, my do not draft or my faith list over the past few seasons. I, I don't have a lot of time for him anymore, but, uh, Anthony Duclair, that's another guy that I'm, I'm kind of interested in because he's shown at times he can be a very useful fantasy asset. Um, depending on deployment and linemen and stuff like that. Obviously, it seems like everyone that goes to Florida puts up points, regardless of who you are. Uh, but Duclair now, he's, he should get more time on ice, right? He should see more power play time. He should see just, just more of everything. Um, I've got about 27 goals and 60 points, obviously coming off a major injury from last season. Where do you see Duclair for next year?
1: Uh, I do think that Duclair is an interesting sleeper. I'm, I'm not that optimistic. I think that would be if everything goes perfectly for him. We still have to factor in the injury history and the weaker supporting cast overall. And just weaker team, weaker team system, because Florida was such a, a juggernaut, right? Yeah. Uh, but to me, my projection for him is more 20, 25 goals, 40, 45 points, which would still be a solid season if you're filling out a deeper lineup. And it's funny, I'm more of a of a numbers guy, but uh, to sort of bust out the intangibles, the Panthers played Toronto, and I was at all the home games during the playoffs. I'm based in Toronto. I got a good look at, at Duclair during that series, and he really impressed me. He really seemed to have the zip back in his step. And he's someone whose game is really predicated on skating, right? It's really yeah. driven by his skating. I thought he looks really good. He looked healthy. So I think he still has a lot left in the tank. But again, just worst team, worst supporting cast. So to me, if you get 20 goals, 45 points from him, that's a pretty solid season.
0: Okay. Um, I want to talk about Alexander Barabanov as well. So it just looked like 29 years old. He's entering his fourth season with 160 games played. So he's kind of approaching that breakout threshold of 200 games. Um, He posted 47 points and 15 goals in 68 games. So that's a 57-point pace. Um, So he showed that he can be a capable top six option at times. But now there's a lot more competition in San Jose, right? You brought in Zadina. You've got Duclair there. Um, You've still got all the regular supporting cast can he be a, a relevant fantasy asset for next year? I've got him at 20 goals and 60 points. And again, just having this discussion, that seems a bit high, but where do you see him for next year?
1: Yeah, he's not one of my favorites. Um, but again, when I look at players that I value higher in fantasy, I, I look for combo meal type of players who can contribute to lots of different categories. But to me, Barabanov so far, his profile, it sort of reminds me of a, someone like a Tivo Teravine and or Robert Thomas, who they're really, they're helping you in assistant points, but they're, For a player that's a first-liner, almost a liability in the goals category, not a big-time goal scorer. So I don't get overly excited about what Barabanov brings. And I also don't think he's such a fixture that he can't be overtaken in that lineup by, let's say, Zadina finds something or they want to play Duclair on the right wing instead of the left wing. There are a few different scenarios that could bump Barabanov down to a lower part of the lineup. That said, definitely a draftable player if you're just looking for a cheap source of points, for sure. He just doesn't really move
0: the needle for me. I'm not overly excited about him. No, that's a fair assessment. Like you said, they've got lots of guys here. Fabian Zetterlin could be a guy. Kevin LeBanc, um, lots of guys in contract years. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But for the most part, I'll be fading this NLC Sharks. (laughs) Uh, Okay, let's move on to the Vegas Golden Knights here. So obviously finished first in the Pacific last year, 51-22-9. Goals for was 14th at 3.26. Goals against was 2.74, which was 11th power play was 18th at 20.3 and the PK was 19th at 77.4 they have 11 back to back sets this season so tied for 6th most in the NHL uh, 32 of their games or 39% are played on light days the 3rd most among any team in the NHL this coming season I don't recall any key additions for them this offseason um, but Riley Smith did leave being traded to Pittsburgh so in, in your opinion did this team improve decline or, or stay relatively the same
1: I would say overall fantasy value relatively unchanged looking at at the group. But I guess before we get to the fantasy, I'd say overall, yes, the Golden Knights relatively unchanged. And they sort of remind me of the Kings in the 2010s who kept almost their entire lineup together following their Stanley Cup win. Most of this team is intact other than, like you mentioned, Riley Smith. But I think they're still built to be contender. They're definitely a win-now operation. They're built that way. They know what they're doing. They don't care about prospects or (laughs) first-round points. They just punt those things. But the majority of their core, they have enough players in their prime. They don't have very many players younger than 23, 24 that are coming up to help. So this is it for the next couple of years. Uh, But overall, in the present, I'd say the value is relatively unchanged, yes.
0: Okay. Um, I'm going to start with Jack Eichel here just because I think he finally... Finally got to play in the playoffs, which was great. Uh, he actually did he did fantastic. Um, I've got a projection here for thirty goals and eighty two points next year. Does that seem reasonable? I mean, given his health and he can if he can stay healthy.
1: Yeah, and I think the further he gets removed from the disc replacement surgery, the healthier he gets. It's still worth noting that he got dinged up last year as well. So I would say that he has more injury downside than a lot of other point per game players, but overall. I think people forget that Jack Eichel still, you know, he's only in his mid-20s. He still has a lot of upside left in his game. I think he can live at this level for several more seasons. So, yes, I think he can be a point-per-game player and give you a healthy shot total as well.
0: And looking at his numbers again, I think he's, he's going to see some more power play goals this year too because he converted on just 4.7% of his power play shots, 42 shots in the power play last year. Um, that's his lowest over the last five years. So I expect to see more power play goals from him.
1: I, I agree. Sorry about this, Devin. My camera, I just uh, got an Adobe update and I tried oh, nice. to cancel it and it made me move my my camera a little bit here. <laughs> I apologize there. But no, I, I agree. And, and just, I think that Eichel, now that there's confidence uh, in his overall health, I think they know they can lean on him a little bit more now. And I could see even an increase in his ice time. So I do think we're going to see just more opportunities, ideally closer to a full season. And we haven't had that true sort of signature season from Jack Eichel yet he had the 90 plus point season in Buffalo I believe it was several years ago now right but um I still think he's got one of those in him if he can just get through a full 82 game season for once
0: yeah obviously he played great with Jonathan Marchessault and Ivan Barbashev in the postseason um so do you think there's going to be some spinoff will that chemistry carry through to the regular season do you expect to see those guys play together uh, at least to start the regular season
1: I do, especially when that line was so dominant in the playoffs. How could you not keep them together? And to me, it's most exciting for Ivan Barbashev because he's someone – we know who Jonathan so is. He's like the most consistent player you can find. You know exactly what you're getting from him. But Barbashev is someone who had a breakout in St. Louis, 26 goals. Then he was underachieving. Then he found his game again. And to me, the correlating factor is when Barbashev is not playing center. He seems to be a more comfortable player. And it works a lot better. His prorated stats, if you count the regular season and playoffs with Vegas, I think it's something like 25 goals, 60 points, a whole bunch of hits as well. So to me, he's actually uh, a player that I like. I'm pretty bullish on Barbashev going in because especially if you're drafting with any casual GMs, his overall season numbers don't look that exciting. But if you're more of a gamer GM, you can look deeper and know that he was a much different player. Once he became a Golden Knight, he's still in that exact same role. So I I like what he can do this season.
0: Yeah, he played at a 67-point pace during the Stanley Cup run, so he was very, very effective for them. Um, I have a couple of concerns with Barbashev. So his shot volume is, is a concern at 1.5 shots on goal per game. Obviously, we all like volume shooters if we get them. Um, his shooting percentage at 21.7%, uh, a little bit high. And then uh, his team's even strength shooting percentage at 14.7%, um, a touch high as well. But again, I love the deployment. You'll love that he's got some, some peripheral category coverage. Uh, should be a valuable player. I'm I'm actually more concerned about Jonathan Marsh so and trying to find value on him in drafts because I think the secret is out a little bit. Like you said, he's a consistent player, but are you going to get the same value on him this coming season that you've been able to find in past years?
1: Yeah, it's a good question because there's always the recency bias when someone has a magical playoffs, right? So yeah. it does feel like he's not going to be someone you can just sort of slip by as easily. That said... Sometimes it's worth paying a little bit of a premium for someone who's so reliable. You know, you're going to get 20 goals, at least 50, 55 points. At least he's quite a high volume shooter. Always has been. And I like, especially early to middle rounds. I like reliability. I like, I like when you know what you're getting. And to me, if it means having to pick him five or 10 spots earlier this year, it might still be worth it.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, Who else do you want to go over here? Um, Aiden Hill. Well, let's talk about the goaltending a little bit. So, Aiden Hill obviously signs a, a two-year contract with an average annual value of $4.9 million. He was fantastic for them in the playoffs, 11-2-2, two two, a 931 save percentage. Uh, he was third in goals saved above expected among all playoff netminders. So, I mean, I look at this, and and I, as good as Logan Thompson has been, is, is it sort of Aiden Hill's crease to lose?
1: Yeah, and that goes back to the money talks discussion I was mentioning before. Just based on the contract that he's been given... He's being given, if not number one elite starter money, it's definitely 1A money at the very least. So, again, when he leads you to a Stanley Cup, it would be an absolute slap in the face to start Logan Thompson on opening night, right? So (laughs) Aiden Hill, yes, absolutely. He's the 1A right now. And the sample size in his career has not been big, but he's been mostly an effective goalie. Even going into last year, he had a lot of potential as well. So. I think it's possible that he gives you a really nice return on investment. And the good news is because he doesn't have that big sample size, maybe it gives him a slight discount in drafts that kind of offsets the Stanley cup factor at the same time. And this is the weird kind of catch 22. The very fact that Aiden Hill exists is a threat to Aiden Hill. And what I mean is Aiden Hill is the poster child for the fickleness of goaltending. And when a player like Aiden Hill can come out of nowhere and become a starter when he's not even the starter at the beginning of the Stanley Cup playoffs. It means that type of player, A, can crash back to earth just as quickly or B, be usurped by another Aiden Hill, in this case, Logan Thompson. So you do have to be careful with those fickle goaltenders. And that's why in my own rankings, I find my goaltenders tend to be lower than everyone else's because it's just a crapshoot. This position is a damn crapshoot. You had sure Sergei Bobrovsky and Aiden Hill, both goalies in the Stanley Cup final, weren't even the friggin' starters on their own teams in April. It's ridiculous.
0: There you go. <laughs> no, I, I buy into the whole zero-G draft strategy myself. I, If I can find value later in drafts, I'll try and do that. I've I've been trying to fill up my roster with forwards and defensemen in the first 10 or 12 rounds and then try and, you know, find goalies where you can, uh, depending on your format, of course. Um, Who else do I want to cover here quickly? I guess the other one, Mark Stone. So just sort of a, a frustrating player to own for fantasy. Like, for me, I, I'm a little more risk-averse, especially in, like you said, earlier rounds. And, and even in mid-rounds, you want to try and establish a nice, uh, you know, for, uh, for value. And, and Mark Stone just, they said he may not be healthy again. Like he's going to, this is going to be a continuing thing. Um, mm-hmm. you know, where, where do you see him? Where are you taking Mark Stone in drafts?
1: Ideally I'm not. So <laughs> he, yeah, he's someone who is almost always on my do not draft list. Uh, even before the injuries cropped up, I always found him to be an overrated asset in fantasy because he's a great source of assist. Great real life player was never a really high volume shooter and wasn't really an asset in the banger categories as well so what was interesting last year was his shot volume actually went way up so his his statistical profile when he was on the ice was different than in previous seasons on the other hand like you said the chronic back injury sounds like it's going to follow him forever so there's just so much downside for a player who's a brand name and now has a stanley cup ring it's just too much so i don't think i'll be drafting him in any league he'll always be taken before i consider him
0: okay uh, last question here for the Knights who do you like more in fantasy do you like Shea Theodore or Alex Petrangelo because it's kind of it's a tough call right
1: yeah it's funny it's crazy just throughout the show how much we're on the same page Devin and even when I was doing my rankings because again I've been working on that first draft yep. I, I I caught myself ranking Pietrangelo above Theodore which surprised me because I've been quite a big fan of Theodore in recent seasons but Yeah, I I do think that Pietrangelo gives you a little bit more in terms of being a huge asset in blocks. If you're in a league that counts blocks Uh, and Pietrangelo is always going to get you double digit goals, give or take, you know, 10, 11 goals, 50 points. And he's going to block well over 100 shots. So I think he's a bit more diverse of a contributor. Shea Theater also a little bit banged up. I still think he's a great defenseman, uh, but I think his overall just just stat category diversification is less exciting than what Pietrangelo brings to the table. And I think Pietrangelo is just a little bit safer. I do like both though.
0: I like that assessment because I've got them separated by a goal or two and and maybe five points, right? So if you get that additional coverage from Pietrangelo, I think that makes a lot of sense. Okay. um, So for our listeners, if you want more information on the projections, um, the link will be in the description. You guys can check it out there. I've got just a few uh, fun questions for you. Way too early predictions for next season, Matt, if you don't mind, uh, and then we'll get out of here. So, who wins the Pacific division next season?
1: I'm going to go with Edmonton, but I think it'll be very close with LA right
0: there. Music to my ears. Who wins the Stanley cup, New Jersey devils. I love it. Who wins a rocket Richard trophy? I think it's a Leon Drysaddle year. Okay. I like that too. Who wins the art Ross? I'm going to be boring. Connor McDavid can miss 20 games and he'll still win it. <laughs> uh, who wins the Norris trophy?
1: Uh, I think it's a Kale McCarr bounce back year, but I also would keep my eye closely on Mira Heiskinen.
0: Okay. And who wins the Vezin Trophy?
1: Ilya Sorokin, but also watch out for Jake Ottinger.
0: Okay, like that one too. Uh, well, Matt, thank you so much for jumping on today. We're right up against it for time here, so uh, I appreciate it. Uh, where can our listeners find you?
1: Well, thanks so much, Devin. It's a pleasure to be on. You can find me on Twitter at mlarkinhockey and on dailyfaceoff.com with content uh, all throughout the summer.
0: Fantastic! Uh, thanks again for being here. For our listeners, if you want to find us on social media, um, on Twitter or I guess X now at FH Hacks, uh, on Instagram at Fantasy Hockey Hacks. We're also on Threads, and like I said, check out the website Fantasy Hockey Thanks, Matt. Take care. Thank you.